This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. Today, we're here with Sahil Gupta, the founder and CEO of Noah. Basically capturing a really big trend we're seeing with home ownership, and Noah lets you tap into the equity of your home. So Sahil, tell us a bit about how you got started. Uh, yes, you know, Zane, so like, you know, it's nice to chat with you today. I often think about the story of Noah as two different phases of my life. And, you know, interestingly enough, those two phases happened about 35 years apart. So the initial inspiration for the company is, uh, you know, when my father was building our family home in India. Uh, so I'm an immigrant here in the US. I've been here for the past 15 years. In two th- you know, in 1982, my father was building our family home in Delhi. And uh, he started constructing the house. And like most things, uh, that I think people will, uh, like will re- you know, will relate to this, that it always takes longer and always takes more money to build your family home. So in the case of my father, it was costing him about half a million Indian rupees back in 1982. Uh, he had 350,000, he finished 60%, 70% of the house, and then he got stuck. He didn't have the balance 150,000 Indian rupees. And like my father's never taken a loan in his life. He does not believe in debt, in fact, right? So he he goes and talks to his brother, my uncle, and says, hey, I'm short 150,000 Indian rupees. Would you give me that money? And in exchange, I'll give you a third of the house. We were building a multi-story single family home, you know, as is the norm, you know, in India. So we ended up building a three, a three story house. He took a third of the capital from his brother and gave him a third of the equity, in, like in the property. And that house stayed in the, like in the family for 36 years. And they sold that house in 2020, just last year, in fact. And I often spoke to my father about it and said, you know, you could have returned that money. You didn't have to give equity in exchange. And my father said that, the capital was available to me when I needed it. I didn't have to take on debt. I didn't have to make a payment on it. And there is tremendous value in that. So it's like doing this concept of fractional equity or equity sharing within the whole family. And a lot of Americans do that today when they want to buy a house where they borrow from friends, from family and get to do that, right? So like, you know, so my father did something like that in 1982. And when I was in San Francisco now in 2016, um, I was talking to a friend of mine who had a tremendous amount of equity in his house. And he was a 1099 freelancer. Uh, And he said, hey, I want to pull equity out, but it's really difficult for me because banks don't normally want to lend to people who are 1099 small business owners. And I was like, well, there is, we could structure a transaction where you get access to capital without taking on any payments or debt. And that is how Noah was born in 2016 in San Francisco. It was leveraging, uh, say, what my father did, you know, 36 years ago, and also my financial services experience. I worked at Wall Street and a variety of fintech startups over the, you know, over the past decade. You know, that's interesting, too, because my family got on the property ladder the same way. They were immigrants from East Africa, and the yeah. government had a scheme where certain companies would put down part of the down payment, and mm-hmm. then you would pay them rent. And okay. we just, just like you, 2020 last year, uh, we bought the home back from them. 
Okay. And I asked my parents, why did you do this? You know, I mean, you have a mortgage on half the property and then you have this other company. And they were like, well, how else would we have got on the home ownership ladder? You know, the, okay. the requirements to get debt uh, and sort of the, the fact that debt is a different instrument, right? Versus having okay. a, an equity partner. And, and I then began to appreciate a very powerful scheme. And um, this is a problem we see today. It's very hard, especially in European countries, where debt's looked upon very differently. I know uh, you take Germany or other countries, people don't like debt. The concept of credit cards there is very different to a country, let's say in America, where debt is, uh, you know, so easy. You just just keep spending. I mean, look at the U.S. natural uh, natural deficit, right? It's trillions of dollars and it's growing. I think it's the mentality aspect, right? So obviously, you know, so India was like, you know, you know, India was under the British rule as well. Like, you know, and even today when I think that the capital markets in India are a lot more developed, but the concept of debt is like, oh, you know, don't take too much debt, right? They only believe in buying what you can afford. The way I look at it, having been in the US for a while now is like, like I think debt is a great tool, you know, when it is used effectively. Equity is also an amazing tool when it's used effectively. That's right. Like, and what you end up seeing is that both debt and equity are available to corporations and businesses, right? So if you're Apple, you can issue more stock and raise equity that way, or you can go and access, you know, you know, you know, a triple A corporate bond at a really low interest rate. So at the corporate level, people have access to debt and equity. But when it comes to when it comes to consumer finance in the US and more, you know, broadly the world, they, there is only debt. There is no concept of individuals or consumers accessing equity, you know, by leveraging the assets that they have. And that's kind of part of a broader theme that I look at is to say a house is the most important asset. It's the largest asset somebody has. But the reality is that you don't need to own 100% of your house to live in your house. It's like startups, you know, a founder doesn't own 100% of the company, but it's still the founder and the CEO of the company. You can apply that same concept to a house and say, you can own 70, 80% of the house, you can live in the house, have all the rights, and utilize your equity as a tool to get financing as and when you need. And that's really the ethos behind NOAA and what we're trying to do in the single family housing space. You know, uh, a survey came out in 2016 yeah. and 72% of renters said they want to one day own a home. Getting on the uh, home ownership ladder is very difficult. Uh, especially yep. as we've gone through a period in history, and I think Europe, in fact, most countries are suffering from this now, where yep. inflation is very real. Yep. Um, I felt like my generation, I, I graduated at the time with a credit crunch. And a lot of people weren't able to get jobs because companies weren't hiring. Uh, it was very disillusioning for people because then as they save up, and you know, I lived in San Francisco and... Uh, so tech founder, it was like my company just wasn't growing fast enough in terms of the salary I was able to take out. First year, obviously, no salary coming out from the company because I'm bootstrapping it. Second year, maybe 30K. Then, you know, once we raise funding and we've got product market fit, I'm taking 70K a year and then 150K a year. And as I'm, as I'm getting more and more income, I'm able to save more and more. But it seems like, damn it, I still don't have enough to make that down payment because the property market in San Francisco was going crazy. And, you know, that same house you're looking at that was on the market, and these numbers might sound crazy to viewers who are not from San Francisco, but there was a home I was looking at. It was like a three-bedroom home in 
an area of San Francisco called Sunset. And it was really nice because it had a nice garden and a foggy area, having said that. But it was a beautiful garden. And I loved, I loved, I love nature, right? $1.2 million. And I, I, I made the maximum offer I could. And if I had that offer accepted, I'd literally have no more cash. I don't even know how I would have made some of the other, you know, the, the, the furniture costs or whatever. It uh, wasn't accepted. And then I'm stuck to that price point 1.2. Maybe six months later, I've saved more money. That same house that was 1.2 million is now 1.3 million. Three years later, that house is now worth 1.6 million. Eventually, it was worth 1.8 million. It's like, you know, and I was getting big salary increases because, you know, we were venture-backed. We'd raised $25 million. We're doing several hundred million dollars in revenue, very profitable. I just couldn't get on the home ladder. And I was only able to do it after I sold my company. And, you know, it's crazy. No, that's true for most people. In fact, what's worse is if you only rent, right? So there are, there are different chains of thought. But the average renter compared to the average homeowner, the average renter, they say, has a net worth of only $1,500. But yeah. the average homeowner has a net worth of $255,000. So homeownership, you know, it's like a forced, you know, saving because you save money to pay the mortgage, which helps you, but you're also earning appreciation. So the average homeowner has 44 times the net worth of a renter. So it, it would make sense no matter, like I think so when you start on that homeownership journey to say, it makes sense to do this because I'm going to create wealth. And I think housing has been, the single largest source of wealth creation for most Americans. In fact, you know, like I was reading somewhere, there is like a 70 by 70 rule that, you know, 70% of Americans have 70% of the net worth that is stored in the value of their home today. So it, it makes a ton of sense for people to become homeowners, start that journey. And I think what is important, I, I think we as a company, but more importantly, I think Silicon Valley and consumer finance is to say, how do we remove the barriers to home ownership? We're going to remove those barriers over time so that more and more people can start the journey, stay on the journey, and be on it as long as they want. To.